Welcome, welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast presented to you from the Western Cape Pod Bunker located here in the heart of Cape Town, South Africa. This pod is presented to provide a platform and a voice for built environment professionals and interest groups who are working towards transforming the places and spaces here in South Africa. It is dedicated to those individuals and community groups that are supporting both the formal and informal processes that are shaping our cities and our spaces. The ability to track and trace movements of citizens to assist with the monitoring and the evaluation of COVID-19 has been one of the main responses that we've seen from governments and health authorities globally. Mapping where new infections are occurring, where patients have recovered and who has received ultimately when it's developed the vaccine is going to be fundamental to an effective health response. We've seen countries like the UK actually employing former chief executive officers of mobile tech companies to head up some of their track and trace initiatives. We've all seen the data portals that show and illustrate the COVID-19 cases, spatially, both at a local level and globally. However, that mapping implies that there's an ability to place cases in space in a spatial way and the credibility of the monitoring of the systems and so forth is very much determined by the accuracy of that placement. Here in South Africa our communication minister has recently announced that researchers at the University of Cape Town are working on a Bluetooth and geolocation tracing app to help health agencies to track people who may be unaware that they've contracted COVID-19 as well as those who've come into contact with people who've tested positive. But what happens when you don't have an address that is recognised by a land, postal or health system? Globally, two-thirds of households do not have an address and the implication for most is that there's a limitation on the delivery of services, rights to land security and a whole range of other implications of not having an address. And we've touched on some of these issues in episode 14 when we spoke with the Centre for Affordable Housing Finance in Africa and 71.4 when we looked not only at the addressing but the whole issue of titling and land security within the South African context. The World Bank has published on this issue and explored the linkages between addressing civic identity, urban information systems, support to municipal services, tax systems, land management and so it goes. The implications for planning, for service delivery and coordination are obvious. But also what about the privacy issues, the concerns of citizens? The concerns that sensitive issues and information on personal health uh, may be made available to unscrupulous third parties. The whole question of human rights and data privacy is as important as the ability to be able to track and trace movements and to be able to come up with a coherent health response. Carsten Bjornsson is a widely travelled and experienced GIS expert and land surveyor by profession. In today's Talking Transformation podcast, we talk to him and reflect on his almost 20 years of service working with Esri, one of the leading GIS software platforms. Prior to working with Esri, he had served as the assistant professor at KVL University in Copenhagen, Denmark. In a recent blog article, he summarised the challenge like this. We have a situation where health authorities need good, reliable patient data, but face difficulties in obtaining, processing and distributing it. The challenge we have is how to collect, analyse and disseminate localised patient information, whilst at the same time ensuring that we protect the individual's rights. 
as Esri's land administration lead, he now works out of Abu Dhabi. Although we find him during this conversation in the UK during the period of lockdown, and we ask him why is this issue important? How can we go about creating an address? And what are the benefits during a crisis response? and more longer term in terms of land information systems that underpin our property markets, our rates and revenue basis. Carsten is no stranger to South Africa and he's visited Johannesburg last year where his keynote address reflected on Esri's approach and innovation to support street addressing. We're indebted to him for spending time with us and reflecting on the approaches and the opportunities that are available. And as always, we hope you enjoy the episode. So it's a Thursday evening. It's just approaching six o'clock, and uh, across north, over the over the rainbow there into London, I've got Carsten Bjornsson on the line. Carsten, how are you keeping? How's London treating you during this period of lockdown? London is very nice to us. You know, we got caught up here, and uh, we we live in Abu Dhabi. But uh, since they've closed the borders, we now have to to stay in London un- until they reopen the borders. But but the good thing is that there's a lot of family up here, so um, so it's a nice opportunity to to be with family. That's fantastic. I mean, just just listening to your accent, it seems to betray a number of countries that you've cl- traveled around. Yeah, so a little bit of myself. Uh, I'm I'm a cadastral surveyor from Denmark. Um, I worked in Denmark at, at the Agricultural University in Copenhagen as an assistant professor. Um, I then got a very interesting offer from Esri, who is a GIS software company uh, out of Redlands, California, in the United States. And uh, about 20 years ago, we decided to to pack up the tent poles and, and move to California. But we've basically been since, and then now we have a little side stint in, in the Middle East. So, yeah, so... The accent is all over. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And and your family all good during this period? It's obviously a, a difficult period uh, for, for many across the world, but uh, everyone's safe and sound from your side, right? Well, yes, yes you could say so. Uh, my brother seemed to have had COVID, but but he's over it now and recovering. Although he yeah. tested negative, he had all the signs. So Well, that's good, it's good news that he's on the, rec- on the yeah. road to recovery. Fantastic. The, the, the premise of the conversation, Carsten, uh, addressing... Uh, the, the the value of an address that so so many of us take for granted. What is an address, and, and why is it important? And and w- what has led you to a lot of the research and the innovation that you've been putting into there with Esri? Um, this is a big big topic and a big question, and it's not something that people, at least in my part of the world, recognise as, as being anything because it's always been there. Sure. It's only it's only when you start to travel in areas, you know, in Africa, for example the Middle East or Central Asia, that you start to understand that it's not everybody that has an address and you start to realize what it actually is. So you ask me, what is it? Well, an address, you know, is is actually a, a location where something is located and it has an identifier and a location. So an address, the way, way I think about it is that it tells you where something is and it helps you navigate or get to that place from where you are. And it helps you to identify that place once you get there. So these kind of the three criteria. And let's say you live in a local neighborhood and you, lo- you know all the people around you. You don't move around outside that, that neighborhood. Then it's, it's fairly easy to know everybody's address. But when you come into a new city, that's where addresses, you know, with a street name or a building name or a, a, a building number or a building name starts to, to become very important because you now have to find that place and, and an address system allows you to do that. Um, so I can, you know, why is it important? Um, well, 
Let me just give you an example. So we're here in the midst of COVID, and this is a brand new situation for everybody. And, you know, because everybody has to stay at home. So what happens here is that, for example, in the UK, only food stores and um, very essential stores like pharmacies and so forth are allowed to be open. But he, here I am. And given that, that we got caught here in London, there are certain things we don't have available to us that we need to get. And it's only now that we can go into uh, the internet and order things online and get them delivered to an address that we can get those things. So one of the important thing is that you actually can buy something and get it delivered to your door, even though that the shops are closed and that has a profound impact. But that's just one little example um, for myself here in, in this situation. If we take a broader look at it, um, if we, for example, take, take you or people themselves, we can think about that what an address does, the fact that you have a place, you live a place that has a description of that place where you live provides you security. It tells everybody that, that you live in this place. It gives you a legal identity. So if you have anything related legally, you can say, well, I live in this, this place here. Uh, it could be something related to social integration, being a part of communities. But most importantly, it actually, actually can give you services to, to, to your, your location where you live because people can find where you are by giving an address. And these services, if we talk about government, government can provide basic services um, like water, electricity, or other types of government services. For example, in Brazil, um, there is very big efforts going into the favelas up the mountain hills, especially in Rio, sure. to start to put addressings into these areas so they can start to get services into these favelas and, and start to legalize the services. I was going to say another thing, and that comes from your own neck of the wood, which is planning. By having addresses, you can start to plan things. You can plan where, where should I put services again? Where should I put schools? Where should I put medical facilities? Because having an address, you can also have an idea of where people live. And then there is the whole side of emergency response. You know, how do you get emergency response units to, to respond to a distress call? If there's no address, how do they know where to go? And, and we can talk a little bit more about that. The last thing I, I just want to go into here is service providers like utility providers, that they also need to get in and provide uh, utility services. And for that, you will need the address as well. I think those are, those are really important points that you're making. And as I say, it seems such an obvious sort of response. But I think what also surprised me when, when I went through some of the information that you'd, you'd, you'd sent me was almost two-thirds of households globally don't have access to an address. And you've talked about the favelas of Brazil and the informal settlements, for example, in South Africa. But that was quite, quite astonishing that as many as two-thirds, or in fact, the majority, don't have yeah, and the impact is huge, huge on the economy because there's, again, a lot of services that, that you can't provide and you can't benefit from uh, to promote the economy when you don't, don't have uh, addresses. So, so absolutely, that, that's one of the, the big challenges. A little side example from Denmark was that in Denmark, uh, which is a very uh, structured country, it was only in the mid-90s that we finally got the addresses in place, the 1990s. And uh, at that time, municipalities were responsible for the addresses, and they still are. What they wanted was to, every time you need an address, you have to pay for it. 
And the government realized that this was um, not the right way to do it uh, because it actually kept a lot of development of and, and utilization of addresses bank. So what they did was that they paid uh, the municipalities around five, I think it was $5 million dollars U.S. dollars, and say, here, here, here are these five million dollars, of, uh, and, and you provide the addresses for free to everybody who needs them. And what it turned out was that once the addresses was released to be used by everybody, companies and so forth, the benefit for the government, the downstream benefit for the government was around um, uh, $50 million. dollars. So it was a good investment. Fantastic. And here in South Africa, you know, we've got postcodes. We do have street addresses for the majority of the formal areas. Enumerator areas are used for our censuses and so forth. And the informal settlements often sort of arrange themselves with uh, sort of conventional uh, naming conventions, but they're not necessarily tied to a, a land information system. So I'm guessing it doesn't always need to be a number and a street name. For example, Six Peter Place or Five Carsten Gardens. It could be. It can be. It can be a range of things. And I mean, how is technology starting to allow us to address some of these things? And how have you started to think about this within sort of Esri and the GIS world more broadly? So there are kind of two things to the, to this question. Um, the first thing is the technology uh, itself, where you can say. All the different players uh, that use addresses, and we've already talked a little bit about them, they utilize the technology within their own uh, space. So utilities, for example, will have their own coding system. Municipalities might have their own coding system. They can both apply the, the GIS technology. They can have uh, you know, their own addressing systems. They can have their own navigational systems. But what it, what's important here is that they're different. Um, so what the technology can allow you to do is to say, well, we can actually combine all this data into to one address system. And that's what I usually call a multi-purpose address system. Because like you say, we tend to think about addresses. Oh, it has to be a house number with a street name, a district name, sure. a city. Yeah. In some, area, in some countries, a postcode, and then the country name. But different types of approaches to this. You can take this, this different approach that, that I call the continuum of addresses. And, and I think that's kind of where you're leaning here. So what that means is that if we have an address, think about an address or a place, it can be known by many names. So for example, it could be known as uh, Carson's House or 52 Caradoc Street or the third house that is blue. So those could be three descriptions for the same Understood. house. So the whole idea here is that in, in reality, we probably have many descriptions for the same place. So instead of trying to, to build a formal address system, which is by far you know the strongest way of doing it, what we can do is that we can say, well, let's try to build a system, a unified address system that can take it all, right? So when we, when we talk about this, we say, well, there might be some areas in South Africa on the rural side that are mostly known for place areas. And there could be you know, certain places in Pretoria that has a street name, house number, you know, postcode, and so forth, very formal addresses. So I know in South Africa, you have the whole spectrum. And it is a spectrum. And you also use technology, for example, to navigate. So if you use Google's Navigate, behind the scenes, they're running a what we call a grid system. So you have different representations of addresses. So what, what we can do and, and what I'm promoting is to say, why don't we start to think about, instead of thinking about a formal address system that's going to take a long time to do, 
why don't we have this continuum of addresses and technology can support that, where we say, well, in some areas, we might just have a description. In other areas, we might just have a coordinate. And in other areas, we might have a formal address description. And in other areas, you might have a little bit of everything. But the whole idea is that we, we can always find an address because when we think about addresses, we, we tend to say in the addressing world that they have to be unique. Well, they have to be unique to a certain purpose. And depending on that purpose, you define the addresses. Let me, let me give you an example here. So you could say that we, we have, we're in the rural area. There is, there is a, a grid coordinate out there that can be used in, in a mobile phone to navigate from or a navigator. And there is also a description in the system that's called Peter's Blue House. And there might be an area description, say it's in Luwonga. There might even be, potentially could be a, be a, a house address. So the whole idea here is that if you have an emergency response and it drives out towards this area because there's been a distress call, suddenly the network goes out. And now you can't use you can't use the electronics anymore. So now you have to fall back to the next option, which is you know about the area. So you get into the area and then you start to ask your way around after Peter's Blue House. And somebody will know Peter's Blue House in that area and can direct you to it. So the whole idea here is with this continuum of addresses that first of all, whatever we have, we can put into the system and then we can start to optimize it and refine it, make it better. It allows us to see where we have data and where we don't have data. And we can then develop strategies to say, where do we need to collect data? But the whole idea is that there are multiple options. We can apply multiple strategies. And another thing to think about here is that everybody is very much relying on digital technology today, and myself included. But it so happens, like I said before, that sometimes you're out in areas where it doesn't work. And another reality, a very unfortunate reality, is today that there's a lot of regional conflicts all over the world. So in some cases, uh, you won't have access to, to sell uh, cell phone technology. So you'll have to fall back on other options. Understood. So one of the, the key things here is when we think about address systems, it, excuse me, it, it's really about having an address system that can stay in for 100 years. So, for example, if you go to Italy and you move around in Rome or you go to Jerusalem, you will still see old names, old Roman road names, right? old sure. Roman streets and numbering systems that you can navigate from today. So it's all about building a system that can stand the test of time. And who knows what the technology will be in, let's say, a century from now. I don't Absolute. know. Ab but, absolutely. But, I mean, that's the million-dollar yeah. question, right? Yeah. So, so one of the things we have to think about is to have this more pragmatic approach where we can go in and say, well, <clears throat> we can basically absorb everything. And, and the other viewpoint to put in here is to say, well, do we need to address Everything precisely. Well, like I said before, it, it's very much about how, what is the need, and where there isn't a need or where there is no need, we don't necessarily have to spend resources to do it there until it becomes necessary. These are some of the things that that we are, you know, that we're thinking about how we, we can approach that in in that context. For example, I've just built an address system in in Abu Dhabi. And they've never had an address system before. And we've built a very formal address system here. But we reckon that it will probably take one to two decades before people really understand a very formal address system. Mm. They have other ways of describing it. But because in this case, we didn't implement that broader definition, they will have to learn the new formal address system, which they will eventually. 
it's, it's really interesting the way that you, as you say, you describe a system that goes back centuries. And at the same time, the advances that have been made in the mobile and the data uh, field. What is it that we are able to do now in terms of the speed, the quantum of data and so forth? Is it conceivable that um, what we have now will almost be outdated in five years' time? Um, from from an addressing point of view, I, I don't think so. I, I think with the way that we are approaching addressing, that is somehow independent of the technology. What this approach I described before, it can actually add things to it. So you can you can fill in more, depending on how 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 it how um, how the technology changes and how you can go about. So, for example, one of the things that's come forward the last couple of years as as the, the new big thing is what we call discrete grid systems. And and a grid system is where you basically take the whole world and you cover it in in small squares. So you have small areas everywhere. We call them grid cells. And then you assign a unique code for each grid cell. So the more I think one of the more famous one is the what three words one. And you can, by using that technology, you can very quickly assign a what three words to any location. Or it could be a UTM coordinate, or it could be a lat long coordinate. It's the same, it's essentially the same principle or a Google map code. The three words, if I remember correctly, that's the way if you put a combination of three different words, you can basically cover the entire globe. Is that is that what yeah, I remember correctly? Yeah, half of the globe. It, it, it repeats itself on the other side of the globe. So I see. Okay. So, okay. But one of the things to think about is that there's no address system or address method that can cover all the use cases that there is a need for in, in, with an address of where people are using addresses. So it has to be a combination. So, for example, the discrete grids are, are really good when we talk about when we talk about navigation and so forth, where you can very quickly navigate to things and you can describe things very quickly. So, for example, with today's technology, uh, if I had satellite images, I could use AI and machine learning to identify old buildings, pending the resolution, of course, of the imagery. But we can sure. identify old buildings and we can put a centroid and then we can put a code on that. So each building or each building that we can see, not necessarily a household, but each building could get a unique code very quickly. We, we can do that reasonably fast. But the thing here is that, and, and this kind of ties into, into how you use data and protection of data, certain types of grid systems, again, which are very dependent on the, 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 the technology, are very good to assign immediate identify and, and have a location. But again, back to my example, so you're driving with a fire truck out on the, on the country road, and now if, for example, it was what three words you would have to, to find, it suddenly becomes very difficult when the technology comes down because now you're looking for a code that's called maybe a chair, bed, window, right? And nobody, <laughs> nobody would put that on the door, right? Um, you'd, so, be, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's something. But you know, I would say it probably depends a little bit on your your, your word coding, right? Some might be a little bit offensive. <laughs> but the thing is that so, so that's so when you think about addresses, and I, I want to clarify something here. So when we talk about addresses, an address is really, like I said, a unique identifier and a location. That's what an address is. And unique identifier is a description of different components. And it is such that, so you can say, like I gave an example before, uh, the identifier could be 32. And there are a lot of 32 in the area where I am. But now I put Caradoc Street in. Well, there could be a couple of Caradoc Streets in London. 
by putting in Greenwich, then I start to make it unique. So now it becomes a unique address, sure. right? So, so the whole idea is that an address and address system has different components. And in this approach, where we kind of put everything into one model, these components could be a house number, it could be a street name, it could be a what three words, it could be a, dis, a, a global grid reference, it could be a lat long, whatever it is, or a description. So we call those address components. And all these together is what makes an address system. If, if you understand what I'm saying here, that's the key here. Hundred percent. I think you know. Obviously, a lot of the conversations at the moment are about the response and the ability to respond to COVID and the track and trace approaches that we've seen around the world. But it also goes to, to, to some basic uh, built environment issues like congestion management. The, the whole idea of movement of people in the morning from their place of home to their place of work. Uh, the congestion levels that we see in most of our uh, de- developed uh, cities, with or without public transportation, becomes quite a challenge. How can we start to use these different the sort of the address not just as a place of residence but in terms of work to start and together with this sort of mobile technology or digital technology to start looking at travel patterns uh, as much as uh, to support not just the COVID but some of these congestion relief e- efforts and so forth efficiency in the built environment system and I guess that also starts to bring in some of the other question that we we sort of frame this around which is at what stage do we start infringing on people's private rights and movement that should be free and not monitored well it's an interesting question first of all I, I would I would state that if you don't think you're monitored right now you are if you carry a cell phone you are monitored the question is who has access to that data right but you are monitored but just to step back a little bit, so so what we've seen in one country in the Middle East is that they they actually went in and the government developed a what they called a wayfinder. And what that mobile app did, uh, once you downloaded that mobile app, you got access to a lot of government data and information about services and so forth. You gave consent that they could uh, track your location, not your name, but your location. And, and why is that interesting? But it, it, it really hits on what you said before, Peter, because... What it did was that it actually tracked people. So we're talking big data here. <clears throat> so it basically tracked with, with seconds interval where this application moved around based on your location on your cell phone. What was really interesting here was that that gave the government a lot of this data. They could actually see where people moved around in the city at what time and in what quantities. And what that has meant is that that had totally uh, kind of, uh, they had to go back and totally redevelop their whole uh, planning for upcoming infrastructure based on this data. So they could suddenly start to see, oh, our plans doesn't cover this scenario, this Mm. scenario, Mm. that scenario. So this is one of the places where it actually makes benefit because you can start to see patterns that you usually can't see. So that's one area. But like you said, you can also see where do people live and where do people work? It, it ties into this whole question about civil rights. And I know different countries has different approaches to civil rights. But one of the things we talk about in Nor- Northern Europe is that we talk about four key registries. And the reason why I'm talking about this is that there might not be a need to track people. Because these four key registries that, that I dive into here are, one is addressing. So when, when you have an address, you basically say, well, this address is here, and this address belongs to a building. So now you have a building. That's a second component. And that building stands on some land. That's a parcel, which we usually call the cadaster. That's the third component. And people live in that building. So these four registries are the key 
core registries of uh, basically what we call good governance. Because what it does is that if you tie these four together, and again, I know there, there could be problems in some countries, but if you tie these four together, any type of information is available. So to take your scenario, by having these four, uh, these four key registries tied together with good address system, you suddenly know where people live, how many people live there. So you know where people live. If you go to the work, given through people's taxation, you know where people work, you have an address there. So you can pull that information out as well. So now you know where people live and where they work. And then, of course, what could be interesting, like I've described before, is the travel pattern itself. But that's those are some of the things that that, that we have when, when we talk about uh, addresses. It's actually a part of the whole governance infrastructure that we know where things are. Another example could be, so you have to respond to a fire because you now have these four key registries together, you have the address, so you can navigate to that address and you can find the right address. You also know the building, so when the fire truck is on its way out there, it can call a service at the municipalities and pull up the plans for the building, and, espe and especially the materials. So they kind of have an idea of what they're going into. They also know how many people are in the building. So when you have to have ambulances out there or think about how to rescue people, they already have a good idea of what's the population in that building. And you start to see the picture here that by combining these informations, you know, you can really uh, benefit a lot as a society. But of course, it can also be misused. And that's where you then need to have legislation in place that ensures that it doesn't happen. You made a presentation in Johannesburg, I think it was last year, 2019, and uh, you made a keynote presentation there and... and if I understood correctly, broke down one of the informal settlements in the uh, Johannesburg area. As, as somebody who spent a lot of time in Johannesburg, uh, I'd be really interested to get a sense of what your your observations of Johannesburg's approach, sort of the land information system that's uh, been used there. And yeah, what was what was your takeaway from um, your experience of Johannesburg when, when you were here? So what we saw was the city of Johannesburg had done really good work with building a formal address system in, in, in large parts of, of, of Johannesburg. But like you say, there are, are areas with informal settlements sure. um, where it's really difficult to go in and do addressing. And that was one of the things we discussed on how you can do that. And that's something all municipalities uh, in that area are looking at to see how can we go in and establish addresses. So one of the things that uh, we discussed was an approach uh, we just did building a national postcode system in Egypt that's being rolled out as, as we speak here. So what that is, is that Egypt in some ways are alike South Africa. There is an address infrastructure in, in place, but it's, it's very incoherent and not well connected. And especially for Egypt Post, this created a problem with delivery of, of uh, parcels and mail so what they wanted to do was to be able to have a system that would allow them to better provide services out to um, the individual communities. So in this case, the idea was to go in and say, well, if we can identify an area between 20 to 40 dwellings, once the delivery post, post delivery person is inside that area, they will have a 90% success rate of being able to deliver, him, deliver the post, which is very high. So we basically broke down the whole of Egypt into about 400,000 uh, postcode areas of 20 to 40 buildings. And what we did was that we actually, we aligned it with the administrative boundaries that people knew, uh, city boundaries and so forth. 
So it's it's a structure. So it's it's polygons within polygons within polygons or areas within areas within areas. But the idea is that you can once you're inside that area, you you, you can identify. So let's take that to the informal settlement. So if we have an informal settlement area, we could take the same approach. So you could say, well, in this informal settlement area, we can break it down into about 20 dwellings. And inside that area, what you would have is that you would have these 20 dwellings, and you could just put a number on them. But the idea is that if you can deliver something to those 20 buildings, going back to what I said before about having backup systems, once you're inside that area, you can ask somebody where somebody else is, and they would most likely know where it is because they are a close community. So it's the whole idea of community thinking uh, behind this approach. And one of the advantages doing it this way is that it can be done very fast. And the second thing is that there is a tremendous dynamic in these informal settlement areas. Absolutely. So, that's, so if you had a very formal system, let's say a road with buildings, you know, buildings come up, buildings come down, building gets merged on a high frequency. And that would, you know, just to maintain that, you know, data would very quickly become obsolete and, and out of date. So what you could do instead is you could say, well, inside that area, I basically have a boundary area and things can move around in there as long as we know what's in there. We don't have to necessarily know exactly where it is. So that's the approach here. And, and that's what we discussed. And I, I think it could be one of the ways to, to go about and do uh, informal settlements. Well, I think that's going to be one of the it's one of the fundamentals of trying to get our informal settlements, the whole question of upgrading. It's a major issue right now in the time of uh, the pandemic, uh, de-identification of some of these areas, uh, obviously the establishment of new settlements, which would typically have a degree of uh, addressing associated with them. But there's, there's going to be many, many that remain um, and that are still going to require this approach. Did you get a good response from the, the Johannesburg authorities there? They were curious to look at it. But I think one of the, the big things here, and, and let's just step out of technology a, a little bit. In my experience, what it really takes is it takes willingness to implement these kind of things. So there needs to be an organization behind it, right? And there needs to be agreements yeah. to, to how you're going to do it. So you have to build standards. Because if everybody goes around and do it their own way, that, that doesn't help anybody. So one of the things that needs to come into place uh, with these kind of approaches is that there has to be a set of standards that everybody agree upon, so you, so to speak, talk the same language. Because right now, when you cross, if you go across uh, South Africa, you every municipality and city you go through will have their own flavor of an addressing system. And that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to put it together. They don't speak the same language. Understood. So I think the first thing that needs to happen is that you have to have that standard. And you, by the way, have really good standards uh, in, in South Africa. They just need to be enforced and, and kind of reflect the latest developments like these informal settlements. During this period of lockdown, you've been busy. You put together a blog uh, that was published, I think, on Esri's website. And you were talking about the whole question of... The question, is it possible to secure quality spatial data during this period and addressing information for individuals whilst at the same time protecting privacy and the human rights aspects? What was your proposition here and how did you go about unbundling that, that quite vexed challenge? To be honest, Peter, it's something we've looked at uh, for some time. So remember, I come from a GIS world and GIS is geographic information systems. And, and what we do is that we put a location on all data so we can place any type of data somewhere on, on the surface of, of the earth. The question here was for us was we got, we, we got a, some years ago, we got a, we got a challenge or a question from a client 
they needed to have a system where they could ensure almost like what we have in the current situation with COVID, where you could kind of mask an address or a location. What we did was we um, sat down and we thought about it and we came up with a system that we um, called the Global Grid Reference System. And I talked about discrete grid systems before, and, and this is such a system. But what it essentially is, and let me see if I can explain it. So imagine that you divide the whole Earth into squares of uh, 100 kilometers following what we call the UTM zones. And then you take 100 kilometers square and you subdivide it into uh, 20 kilometers squares and then that into 5 kilometers squares into 1 kilometer squares into 200 meters into 50 meters and so on and so on and so on. And you can literally continue infinitely down to the size of uh, an atom in this system, right, location-wise. The beauty about that is, is that if we, for example, start to collect, let's say, patient data, so let's say we took household. What we can do is that we, let's say we get a coordinate from a particular household. We can convert that into this grid coordinate and then we can truncate it. So the code suddenly is inside, let's say a five kilometer grid. So we know that inside this five kilometer grid is where we have a patient. It could also be a one kilometer grid. It all depends. But the beauty is that we can, if data were to be shared, then you could truncate that data, but you could still bring value to researchers and, and people, you know, working with response, for example, to the, uh, this epidemic that we have with, with COVID-19. So that, that's one of the big things. And the other thing is that it's a fixed frame. It doesn't change. So if you say you want to do comparison 10 years from now, you can use the same grid and you can compare data from now, 10 years Fantastic. ago or, or five years later. So what it really does, it, it leans into taking advantage of GIS, all the capabilities we have on GIS to do these types of analysis, statistical analysis in, in space, and which is of tremendous value. So, you know, tracking how things spread and so forth would be straightforward in these kinds of coding systems. Would that coding system bring a bigger degree of privacy to the, the, the privacy issue? Yeah. So let's say we collect the data at two meters, right? right? So if you have an app, like I described before, if you have an app, you can say a tracking app. What that app does, as soon as you submit it, that app converts the code into a five kilometer grid or a one kilometer grid. Understood. So you're protected there. Or if you trust the government, the government will get the more detailed data. And then when the right. government make data public, they truncate it to five kilometers. One of the things that we've seen, for example, is that we've seen this being applied to to buildings. So there were certain locations that were of sensitive nature, and this system was applied to that, where you then could truncate it. So you could say that building is inside this five-kilometer area, but it would still allow you to provide information on a map so you could display classifications and so forth. You can say what's high, what's low. Another funny example we had was the United Nations um, apparently, they have to have an address Address in order to, to do payments. They need to have an address. And like I said, two-thirds of the world does not have addresses, right? Having a system like this actually provided them with an address and at the same time made sure that they could have a confidentiality. In this case, it was a girls' school in Afghanistan where they had to make sure that this location was hidden. So it was put inside a five-kilometer square. 
Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like there are many opportunities and options that are available. And uh, good luck with exploring them and uh, developing them with different municipalities and administrations across the globe. What, what is what is ahead of you, Carsten? What is it the next few months, uh, recognizing that movement might be quite difficult and limited? Where can people find more about the work that you're doing with Esri? I'm actually working on a set of blocks. So one set of blocks is is going to be this discrete grid system because we think now is the time to really start thinking about using these types of technologies and combine it with grid, uh, with, with a GIS. The other thing that I'm going to work on is to, to explain a little bit more about addresses and how you do addressing. And I'm also peripherally and, and I'm really happy to say that South Africa is on the forefront on some, on, on some of the addressing work that's going on in ISO, the International Standards Organization. It's it's driven uh, from South Africa and then University of Pretoria. And, and there's some work there as well. And they're doing great work in addressing some of the things that, that we've talked about here. And they've been on the forefront for years on this. Well, that's, that's very encouraging. Great stuff. Can people find you? As I'm assuming it's esri.com. Yes, yeah, so so people can just, you know, my name is, um, I don't know if you give this, but but cbjornson at esri.com. But, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and so forth. Fantastic. Well, we'll certainly make, in our digital flyers and so forth, we'll make sure the links are there, the hyperlinks that will take you to your uh, LinkedIn page. But, Carson, many thanks for spending some time with us this evening. Really appreciate you taking time out from your your schedule and being with your family there and, and just reflecting on some of these exciting initiatives. We wish you well. In the meantime, be safe. And hopefully we get a chance to see you when things get back to some degree of normal down here in Cape Town. Continue the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I've been in Cape Town once and it was a wonderful area. I, I really liked it down there. Uh, nice weather. And, and thank you so much for, for inviting me here, Peter, and having an opportunity to share some of this uh, information with, with people. Well, thank you. Be safe. All the very best. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Talking Transformation podcast. Please engage with us and let us know your thoughts on this episode. You can do so via the Anchor podcast platform. There's a voice message function available via the app. You can also follow us on Twitter via Talking Transfo and the number one. So Talking Transfo one. Our theme music is kindly made available by Tribal Need. Find out about the music, the street art shows here in Cape Town and Europe via tribalneed.com.